Welcome to the market, sponsored by the CME Group. Dateline, Scottsdale, Arizona, Friday, September 14th. Hello again, Orion Samuelson here with you from Scottsdale. It's been an interesting and busy week. Max Armstrong did manage to spend a day at Husker Harvest Days in Grand Island, Nebraska, but since his home is near Raleigh, North Carolina, decided maybe it was a good time to head east and get back to be with his wife and family as uh, Hurricane Florence approached. And on this Friday, about one o'clock, I did check in with Max, and he said about an inch and a half of rain so far, but more on the way, and it is blowing pretty good in the Raleigh, North Carolina area. But uh, Max, being the man who's always prepared, has his generator ready to go in case they lose power. But as a result of that, both Max and I were away for our television show production this week. And that means we had two very capable co-hosts sitting in for us. Mike Adams, longtime farm broadcaster friend, and Chad Colby, who covers the technology equipment on the uh, television show and uh, pretty much travels the country. So anyway, uh, that's what's been going on this week. Oh, and I'm in Scottsdale, Arizona to uh, do the annual physical with the doctors at Mayo. So uh, a lot going on right now. But uh, the concern that we have, of course, is for people, first of all, but then for farmers and their crops and their livestock in North Carolina and South Carolina. A lot of people don't realize that after Iowa, which is far and away the biggest pork producer in the country, the second state in pork production is North Carolina. And uh, the country's largest pork processing plant, Smithfield Foods, located in North Carolina, that's been shut down a couple of days, and who knows how much longer until the effects of Florence have moved inward. And, of course, now we're going to be watching to see how far inward those rains move, because very often the uh, hurricanes in the Gulf particularly will move up the Mississippi Valley, bringing a lot of rain into the Midwest, where we're getting ready for harvest right now. So anyway, we uh, come together here every week, and thank you for joining us, our weekly look at markets from Wall Street to the feedlots and the grain fields. So let's check Wall Street first of all. Stocks ended today little changed as financials rose with bond yields, while news that President Trump has instructed aides to proceed with tariffs on about $200 billion of Chinese products limited gains. And, of course, that trade talk has been in the market now for several months. And, uh, yeah, we do have some definite results of it, but we're still waiting, I think, for the other shoe to drop. A source familiar with the White House decision also said the timing for activating the additional tariffs was unclear. And the move came despite Treasury Secretary Stephen Munchen's attempts to restart talks with Beijing. One analyst said there are a lot of headlines that have come out 
People have been pretty active all week, and it's Friday afternoon. You don't really want to add additional risk going into the weekend when you don't know what news might hit over the weekend. So the Dow Jones Industrial Average for the day up eight points, ending at 26,154. The S&P up a little over three quarters of a point, ending at 2,905. The Nasdaq dropped three and two-thirds points and ended the week at 8,010. And for the week, the Dow was up nine-tenths of a percent. The S&P 500 was up 1.2%. And the Nasdaq rose 1.4%. Walmart down six-tenths of a percent today after Goldman Sachs raised questions about the purchase of a majority stake in India's company Flipkart. Adobe Systems up two and a third percent a day after the company topped quarterly revenue and profit expectations. And the S&P 500 posted 51 new 52-week highs and no new lows today, while the NASDAQ recorded 118 new highs and 68 new lows. So that's how the market ended on this September Friday. Now, what do we look for next week? Housing data will be in the spotlight and could offer some fresh insights into that sector that is still struggling. The Commerce Department is likely to report on Wednesday that housing starts rose to a rate of one and a quarter million units in August. That would be up slightly from the pace in July. Building permits are forecast increasing to one million three hundred ten thousand units that would be up just slightly from july and then on thursday the national association of realtors is expected to report that sales of existing home sales went up just two tenths of a percent to a five million three hundred sixty unit pace in august other data scheduled for release next week includes the NAHB, the National Association of Home Builders, September Home Builders Survey, and the Commerce Department will publish its second quarter current account data on Wednesday, and then of course Thursday every week we get the Labor Department's weekly jobless claims data. We're pretty much out of the earnings report season, but there are still Reports to be issued, and next week, General Mills expected to report an increase in first quarter sales due to its recent acquisition of pet food company Blue Buffalo. However, like many of its packaged food company peers, the company's bottom line will continue to bear the brunt of higher freight rates that are now hitting the uh, that market. And uh, other things happening next next week, Uh, Linux operating system distributor Red Hat is expected to post an increase in its second quarter profit. That'll be on Wednesday. Micron Technology expected to post an increase in its fourth quarter profit on Thursday as the chip maker benefited from a strong demand for its memory chips used in computers and smartphones. 
and Statistics Canada. We constantly have to look north uh, while we're in somewhat of a trade war with Canada. Statistics Canada will report consumer price data for August. That will help. Uh, That will happen on Friday. And then uh, on Monday, Oracle Corporation expected to post an increase in its first quarter profit. And Wall Street expects online results from FedEx Corporation helped by healthy U.S. ground market pricing ahead of the peak holiday season. So not as much going on on the earnings uh, season uh, next week. Of course, that will be starting before you know it once again. Looking at some of the, uh, well, let's look at oil first of all, because oil ended the week mixed today. Prices pulled back amid concerns that additional U.S. tariffs would be placed on China. And crude futures were on track to end the week a little higher, up 1.5%. Brent crude, however, pulled back on the reports of additional tariffs, dropping $0.05 a barrel to end the day at $78.12 a barrel. And uh, U.S. crude up, uh, well, West Texas crude up $0.29 at $68.88 a barrel. There was another story on uh, oil this week, though, that was troubling to some, interesting to a lot of people, because U.S. oil producers apparently are losing their grip on their number one world oil-producing champion. Fields in Texas were meant to help make the country a bigger exporter of black gold than Saudi Arabia next year, but pipeline construction delayed just as U.S. inventories are falling and U.S. drillers risk losing control of the market the longer the logistic problems linger. <clears throat> it's not to say that they aren't still drilling at a pretty good clip. U.S. Energy Information Administration recently said U.S. production will average 11.5 million barrels per day. In 2019, that would be up from 9.4 million last year. But the agency cut its earlier estimates. So the oil market, of course, is important to the agricultural market because agriculture is a huge user of fuel. When you fly over the uh, uh, central plains, which I do every once in a while flying from Chicago to uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, I see the tremendous amount of fields that, well, you have to go over them three or four, in some cases five times, from planting to harvesting before you have a crop. There was one other story of note in the airline industry this week. And that came from Boeing. And Boeing said early in the week it delivered 48 of its best-selling 737 single-aisle aircraft in August. Bouncing back from the 29 it delivered in July, that number was the fewest in years. But here, too, there's a supply problem. Deliveries at the world's biggest plane maker have been delayed as unfinished aircraft pile up 
at its plant in Renton, Washington, in the Seattle area, as a result of production bottlenecks at its suppliers that have disrupted manufacturing. Boeing 737 and the A-20 Airbus, uh, both uh, of the family of single-aisle jetliners, are the cash cows of the two aircraft makers at the moment. But uh, they're hoping to get those supply problems fixed at uh, Boeing so that they can get back on track to deliver the airplanes that have already been sold into the market. Well, let's look at Wall Street. There's a lot more going on, of course, but uh, that we don't have that much time, really. So uh, we're going to take a look at the market story uh, coming up when we continue on the market, sponsored by the CME Group. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. As I mentioned early in the show, the market discussion that Max and I normally host didn't take place this week because we were in different places. But Mike Adams, longtime farm broadcaster friend, and Chad Colby, who covers the technology sector of agriculture for us, were in the studio and had the opportunity to sit down and chat with uh, Mark Fight who is the marketing director of the International Business Group. And this was Mike Adams' first uh, question to uh, Mr. Fight. Mark, thanks for joining us. We had some interesting numbers from USDA this week. Let's get your reaction. We'll start with that core number, 181.3. What do you think? Well, it's, uh, it's amazing. We continue to, to be surprised by the U.S. farmer. You'd think after 30 years we'd, we'd know better and, and would anticipate that they're going to outperform us, uh, what our expectations. Um, so that was a surprise out of the day was the corn yield. We expected that to come in about where we were in August. We had record ear weights, record ear counts. Um, if it moves anywhere, my anticipation is uh, the surprise is over. We may bring that back a little bit in October would be my anticipation. Um, still with the big yield, our carryout, our balance sheet doesn't look that bad. You know, we're at 12% stocks of usage. We've been living at 15%. We're still just one weather issue away from, from much better prices in corn. we just got to do something about the soybeans. Yeah, the soybean number coming in at 52.8, and we're expecting uh, you know that big soybean crop. Do you think that number could actually even go up? I think it probably does. I think we're probably north of 53 by the time we're done. Um, they, they had record pod weights. We expected pod counts to be extraordinary. Pod weights were just about off the chart, and, and we knew that coming in. We talked to a lot of people that said we're seeing a lot of three and four uh, being pods. So as soon as you start seeing fours, you know the weights are high. And this is just an extraordinary crop. You know, I, I have to admit, two years ago I said we'd never be, it would take us five years to beat 52. And I'm wrong in, in a very short period. So this has been an extraordinary year for beans. It's the real problem in the market today. Yeah, a marketing challenge. What are you suggesting? Well, the suggestion is don't 
don't get to where you can't be don't don't get to this point but now you're here um, there's not much choice if you can't store it put it away whatever you can do put it in bags if you have to um, but uh, that would be my suggestion if you can't um, you know you probably somehow own about three quarters of the crop if you've got to sell more than half and own part of it back on paper but uh, it's a real challenge your basis is a challenge and and we see corn basis probably improving through harvest uh, bean basis it's all about you know demand and and can we see some chinese demand come back Mark, have you had a chance to talk to producers? The last couple of weeks, I've been out in the fields riding in some combines, and you know some pretty interesting things happening in the field. You're right on the corn numbers. Certainly, corn yields, especially in a lot of places of the fields, are really, really surprising. Um, but the feedback I get, too, is there's a lot of old grain sitting around as well, and that could be a real issue for producers here this fall. Yeah, I think it gets in the way. Um, if we really total up what we have, if the USDA numbers are right, we've got a couple hundred million of stuff uh, between corn and beans more than a year ago to put away. And it actually feels like maybe the numbers, our yield numbers, our production numbers were a little light and that there's more stuff than, than what the balance sheets are really showing. Um, so I think corn, problem is we're coming a little early. We haven't had a chance to move that. We've got about two weeks of less usage, so it creates a problem. I think by the time we get to the end of harvest, Kerry will buy a lot of corn. We'll find a place for it. Basis is not as ugly. Beans, we just need to get some more demand. We're moving them. We're just we need a little more optimism. Mark, so as the harvest accelerates here, especially in the I states in the heart of the Midwest over the next couple weeks, what do you got your eye on? Well, I think the, the surprises are over. I think the supply side surprises, we've seen the biggest pieces of those. I don't think we're going to get surprised again in October. I think from here, the pieces to build better demand are slow. And that goes back to, are we going to see any Chinese demand we'll know within I think we'll know within 60 days um, but that goes back to you know handicapping what the tariff talks have what happens with the tariffs well there's no question in my mind when you look at the markets today over the next maybe three to six months talk about trade is really going to take precedence once this crop gets harvested no question and and if you think about where we've been over the last five years how we've built demand is from soybeans and we've been fixing everything with soybean demand 15 million tons a year and that's the equivalent of 10 million acres so we've been pulling corn acres pulling wheat acres lowering grain inventories all from soybean demand that train hit a wall and not only stopped it's reversed now so we've got to and we can start that train back up pretty quickly um, but even with the tariff if the Chinese, we think the Chinese still take 10 to 15 million tons of U.S. soybeans, we'll know that within 60 days because the hole they need to fill is in November and December and January. So if they're going to take U.S. beans, we'll know in 60 days. That's an interesting point. So you think even if those tariffs stay on, and it looks like this might go on for a while, they're still going to need to buy from us. Yes, there's no way to handicap the end date of this. Um, is it months? Is it years? We hope it's days. But Yes, we think that they're going to continue to feed the animals the way they need to be fed and that there are no other supplies of any protein meal other than a piece of U.S. soybeans. And that right now the economics, even with the tariff, they can buy U.S. beans, pay the tariff, and 
still have margins at, at the crusher in, in China. Um, you know, they, they approved Ethiopia. You know, there's a lot of ways they can get U.S. soybeans. Do we know yet what impact African swine fever in China might have as far as reducing their feed needs because of the disease? No, there's really no way to know. We, we have news from there. We don't know whether that's all the news or whether that's the full story. I'm not sure anybody knows. Um, I believe this story is going to continue for a long time. We're going to have that, that issue in their pork for a while. It's a, it's a very tough disease to, to contain. And they've got a lot of issues with, with the uh, geography and the way that uh, those animals are housed to try to contain that disease. I think that has a, a, a bigger impact to pork and potentially could have a bigger impact to pork. I think it would be hard today to be short the pork market with that risk out there. But a little bit of Chinese demand going to Europe would help us. Mark, good to see you. Thank you. Yep. Mark Fite, Managing Director of the International Agribusiness Group. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. As I mentioned at the start of the show, Max Armstrong did spend a day or two at Husker Harvest Days in Grand Island, Nebraska. And unlike the Farm Progress show a couple of weeks ago in Boone, Iowa, they didn't have a drop of rain on the biggest agricultural irrigation show in the country. And the good crowd, good turnout, and of course, delightful weather to see the latest in technology. Of course, in the big equipment that's used uh, by farmers and ranchers around the country and around the world, but also to take a look at irrigation systems and what they can currently now do with irrigation systems. I mentioned a few weeks ago that it's that time of the year when I get calls and emails from city folks who have flown to the West Coast for various reasons, including vacation trips. And the question they always ask is, why do farmers farm in circles in the Great Plains area all the way to the Rocky Mountains? Well, I always explain every year that that is center pivot irrigation systems. And in the center of that circle, there is a water source, likely a well, that pumps water up into the two huge arms extending out from that center with sprinklers attached, putting water down when and where farmers need it. But those uh, huge booms with the sprinklers travel in circles around that center. Hey, that's why we call it center pivot irrigation. And that's why farmers look like they're farming in circles, but they're just taking advantage of where the water is going to be. And so I hope that question is answered. Incidentally, um, we have at least two more big shows on the schedule, and I'm sure a lot of smaller outdoor shows as well. But uh, this coming week, September 18 through 20, in London, Ohio, 
The Molly Karen Agricultural Center is home to the Farm Science Review, sponsored by The Ohio State University. I learned a long time ago, you don't call it Ohio State, you call it The Ohio State University. This show, coming up next week, attracts more than 140,000 visitors from all over the United States and Canada who come to take a look at the 4,000 different product lines from 600 commercial exhibitors and learn the latest in agricultural production. And, of course, the educational programs feature Ohio State and Purdue specialists and are second really to none in the agricultural exhibition world. The 80-acre exhibit area allows visitors and exhibitors to experience all aspects of agricultural production. Inside the exhibit area are the static displays, but the... uh, The show also dedicates more than 600 acres of land for field demonstrations such as corn and soybean combines, tillage, nutrient and lime applications, and drainage installations. I remember attending this show and seeing for the first time an autonomous tractor a tractor that was going across the field doing some tillage work, and there was not a driver in the cab of that tractor. So that show coming up Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, September 18 through the 20th. And then the other show that's still on the calendar for this year will come in October. That one is the Sunbelt Ag Expo. And it's at home in Moultrie, Georgia. And the expo's unique site has a 100-acre exhibit area adjoining a 600-acre working research farm. And in the exhibit area, which includes both outdoor and indoor exhibit, visitors will find everything imaginable in products or service that a farmer or a rancher could ever need. So put that on your calendar if you live in that part of the country and uh, put it in your calendar for coming up October 18 through 20. Uh, Or I should say October 16 through 18. That's the Sunbelt Expo in Moultrie, Georgia. So now that we've uh, covered the farm show activity uh, for the next couple of months, Let's take a look at some of the market activity as we wound down the trade this week. Wheat futures today jumped 3%, rebounding from an eight-week low on a round of technical buying and some short covering ahead of the weekend. The gains in wheat did pull corn futures slightly higher, but expectations for a bumper U.S. harvest Pretty much stifled rally attempts, as you heard in the interview with uh, Mark Fight earlier in the show. But one analyst said wheat is leading gains with the Chicago contract bouncing off the psychological $5 per bushel level. Russia still in the news and most major exporters still dealing with dry weather concerns in places like Australia and Russia and Ukraine. 
Uh, Tunisia's state grain agency purchased 67,000 tons of milling wheat, 75,000 tons of durum, and 50,000 tons of barley today in the tender. And then earlier this week, Egypt's state grain buyer purchased 235,000 tons of wheat at an international tender, while Algeria bought 630,000 tons of wheat. Unfortunately, most of that wheat comes from Russia. But it's got to come from somewhere. An interesting note uh, on Brazil this week. Brazil exported 51 million tons of soybeans to China from January to August, or 79% of its total exports of soybeans as that trade war with the U.S. drives up the Asian nation's demand for soybeans from alternative sources. And that compares with 44 million tons of soybeans that Brazil exported to China in the same period last year, accounting for uh, 77% of the country's total exports of soybeans. And so looking at closing prices at the Chicago Board of Trade today, we ended the week with um, September wheat up seven and three quarters at 480 a bushel. New crop December corn up a penny at 351 and three quarters a bushel. And new crop soybeans ended the week or ended the day down two and three quarter cents at 830 and a quarter cents a bushel. So let's look at livestock. Live cattle today ended sharply higher to limit up a short covering and technical buying rally to six-month peaks fueled by some strong demand for beef and expectations for higher cash market prices this week. And lean hog futures were mostly higher today, too. There's growing concern about African swine fever in China and now also in Belgium and in France. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, the concern about pork production coming out of North Carolina. So, never a dull moment, always something to keep busy. What cattle months were up the $3 limit? The October live cattle ended up 3 Dollars, And I guess that's our time once again. Thank you for joining us. And uh, Max and I will be back together again next week, and we'll look forward to joining you then. On the Markets, sponsored by the CME Group.